Because he's like, oh, you're playing God again? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Go work out, bitch. Get a new job. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> or sometimes it wouldn't feed them and they would die and they would turn into like little headstones. We've got a serial killer on our hands. Oh, my God. Oh, speaking of, okay, you can introduce the podcast and then I'll tell you something super fun and also okay. very scary. <laughs> okay. <gasps> okay. Welcome back to No Thank You Next. I'm Megan. And I'm Rachel. Hey guys. Rachel has something for you guys that's super scary. Yeah, so just FYI, if I get murdered, it's my husband killed me. <laughs> oh. Um, so we went to the Home Depot um, recently, and um, I've got some paint because I've got some rooms to paint, and I've got all this fun projects, all these great ideas. Ooh. Anywho, we have these like... It's like our neighbor, our neighborhood, the way that like the theme of the neighborhood is like everybody has fucking palm trees everywhere, like mm-hmm. rubellas and like massive fucking palm trees. It's just like mm-hmm. the lay of the land out here. So we don't want to pay a gardener or an outside company to come and trim the trees once a year because you have to because the palm trees, once they grow, they get up and then they start drooping and then they fall down and then they become like a safety hazard because those things are freaking heavy. Yeah. So my husband just bought uh, this eight foot tree trimming chainsaw. <laughs> oh my God. So we have one of those in our house now. Yeah. And so he was asking me earlier, like, how long do you think I have to charge <laughs> my chainsaw? And I was just like, I don't know, maybe like <laughs> six know. or eight hours. And he's like, all right, you got six or eight hours left to go. Like make it a joke that I was going to get murdered. Uh, so if I wind up dead. Oh my God. I'm just more, I'm just letting you know <laughs> it was no oh. accident. <laughs> oh my God. I will keep that in mind. And so will the listeners. <laughs> so we will be coming for you, Mike. Do- oh my gosh. Uh, whenever I take the trash out outside, I'm like, if you ever hear a loud scream, it's me. Send help. <laughs> He's like, Why oh do you God. say that? I'm like, because I'm going to get murdered taking out the trash at nine the, o'clock at night. The trash <laughs> is by your house, though. I know. It's I have like to a- go to an alley. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> trash is in your backyard it's like my favorite thing to say I'm just like if you hear a loud scream it that's was me like, and he's like okay that's like the riskiest thing a suburban mom does is take the <laughs> take trash the garbage in her high skill neighborhood in my own side yard you know yeah. what the light out there is very dim okay the gate is basically broken <laughs> I literally walk Buddy at six in the morning, no, and it's I have dark. No surveillance. Oh my god! It's- oh my god! And like homeless people approach me every morning. But I'm worried that I'm <laughs> you're worried. Die. <laughs> Let's switch. Oh my god! You're like mm, tradies. Yeah. It's so funny. It is my favorite. <laughs> If you hear a loud scream, just know it was me. He's like, all right, catch you later. <laughs> Don't question it. Don't question no, it. No, no, just send help. Oh, go get your chainsaw. Oh my God. He can He's attack like, the person from eight feet away. He's like, it extends to 10 feet. It's like fucking great. That's how you should get people to give you distance. 
swat like, around the fucking feet. <laughs> you come near me, you're gonna get cut. <laughs> yeah, seriously. You feel like amazing. losing an arm today? You feel like getting I said lucky? six fucking feet. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Probably strengthen your arms too. <laughs> right? Seems like it'd be pretty heavy. Yeah. It's all only weighs like three pounds. It's like fuck. That's pretty it's perfect to chop up your whole body so easily and so quickly. <laughs> so easy, right? So wow. lightweight. <laughs> so lightweight to chop up your body. I will not even so. be winded by the time your whole body is chopped up. <laughs> I'll be more winded putting your body in a bag than I was yeah. <laughs> taking the chainsaw to it. Oh my Fuck. god. <laughs> so yeah, just a heads up, guys. <laughs> all right don't worry i'm in a very loving relationship we're fine we're totally fine <laughs> it's fine <laughs> it's fine all right well on a oh. darker on a darker note oh, i wanted God. to talk about um this podcast which i'm so late to the party on but it truly uh gave me a new perspective on the death penalty so oh. In the Dark is a podcast done by a, I want to say, I want to say it's done by a radio program, a radio, investigative radio program in, it's called APM Reports. Um, They are, I believe, American Public Media. Um, The first season was... um, on the abduction of Jacob Wetterling, which I don't know if you guys have heard about that. It truly, as the season was happening, it was solved by the end. And same with this story for the second season. But okay. it's purely their investigative reporting they do in these podcasts. Like the second season takes place over three years that oh they did reporting. Like, isn't that crazy that they did so much investigating? Like they scanned in over a hundred thousand court documents so that they could review them and create statistics. What? I could not. I mean, I mean, we put in some work for this podcast, but I could not imagine the amount of journalism. years. Yeah. Yeah. And their journalists, their reporting was used in the final case of the second season story. Like they played audio of the podcast so basically the first season is about jacob wetterling it was this boy that went missing he he and his friends were going to the video store and they were riding their bikes back the story is so sad it's so sad and the man that did it like they interviewed him so many times times Mm -hmm. and then finally finally they got dna evidence and then he told them where the body was and there was finally closure after like so many years wasn't it like on his property he like had like Uh, a cornfield or something nearby or like uh, or that's where they put or that's where he like buried no no that was um there was a man that was thought to be a suspect and he lived on a, a farm but he was never actually involved but it fucking ruined his life because the police like, officers, oh and there, honestly, there was a lot of stories that took place like in the eighties and this was yeah. one of them. So it might be another one, but this, he was in another town. His body was, he literally, it was like, I don't know. Uh, like, it's like, 
if you were in Valencia and you went to like Castaic or something like it, right? Like went it wasn't in the same like he drove like he murdered him that night like the first twenty four hours as they say is so important. Okay, so there there's a I remember like actually watching a film about this like there's the Jacob oh. Wetterling documentary. It's a film oh. about the crime. Oh. Um, and I think that's what it's called. And I want to say that I watched it on a Netflix like years ago. Oh, like, let me see. I can't, no, I, it came out in 2019. Yeah. It's literally say, it called the fit. Jacob Wetterling documentary. Oh, wow. But you, but you like see his parents and they're giving their interviews and then they have pictures of him and then they do the reenactments of the kids riding their bikes to the video yeah. store and then back. It is just... It Maybe is it was bananas. a cornfield then. You probably know more. But oh yeah, I just remember it being like almost as if it was like next to a street. Like it was like too close. Like like somebody could have come across the body very easily. Right. Yes, 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 And he yes. moved wow. the body. Yes, he, he did. When yeah. people started searching for him, yeah. he yeah, ended he up moving it. it. And he would visit the site to make sure he was still there. God, this is so creepy. Didn't he keep it's... like an article of his clothing or something like that? That, was I that ever discussed? Say I remember that. I just remember them finding the mm. red jacket as soon as they started digging. The jacket. Which, That's why yeah, I'm thinking. That, they, yeah, they found his jacket first and they knew immediately because it was his red jacket that he had been wearing. Yeah, you can actually watch this documentary and they speak to his parents about what happened. Like, the, it's something that you can actually watch. It's yeah. It's nuts. Wow, okay. Holy so that's cow. the first season. That's the first season. And then it comes with a conclusion because they found him by the end or who he mm-hmm. done it. The second season is about a man named Curtis Flowers. He was in his 20s living in Mississippi in the Delta, Mississippi Delta, when he was working at a furniture store. Well, he was just like really, I mean, he was like any... 20 year old that just didn't want to have a job so he just straight up didn't show up to his job and a week later um he had quit he was living his life and the four people that owned the furniture store or whatever worked there there were four people that were murdered oh my god and yeah and the investigator this was in 96 the investigator got false statements from people he got witness statements from people a year after the crime saying that these people saw curtis walking down the street i can't fucking tell you who i saw yesterday let alone a year ago (laughs) i can't even tell you what i ate yesterday exactly I, i don't know the witness statements some of them are from fucking snitches in prison Oh, God. Who got things. They promised they didn't get things. Well, now these investigative reporters are coming around asking them these questions. It's now been six trials because they've had hung juries. Oh, my God. Ten years. He was convicted at one of the trials, so he was on death row. There was little to no evidence that he had ever been at the scene the da this is crazy the da in mississippi is so racist he used all his um god what are they called uh basically when you're picking a jury you have like a certain amount of um 
not checks. It's like, you can basically refuse a juror. You have a certain amount oh, of, okay. re- re- basically you can say like, no, I don't want them. No, I don't. Every single person that he would take off that jury was a black person. At the time, okay, I can't, I don't know how to say this. So basically the amount that he would eliminate black people to white people was four times more often in trials that he was the DA a part, that he was the DA of than if he was trying a white criminal. Oh my God. If you look at this, I, I'm like, I'm like low-key looking at like researching this, like as you're talking about it, because this yeah. is fucking insane. His first trial in 97, the jury was all white. His second trial in 99, 11 white, one black. His third trial, 2004, 11 white, one black. His fourth trial, 2007, seven white, five black. So someone was like, no, the only reason that that happened was there were more black people in that pool. And (sighs) when the black person on the jury said that he knew someone that he knew someone that had seen Curtis the day of the trial of the, of the, of the murder, murder. And then he voted that he was not guilty. The judge imprisoned the black man for perjuring the court because he said, why did you never say that you knew the victim or knew the, you knew the, um, the, the, prosecute the oh my god i can't see right now uh, the the, the criminal whatever the plaintiff thank you yeah. you didn't you knew something about the case and something about the plaintiff but when they went back they had never even asked him so he never even was asked the information to tell the court and be taken off the jury uh, and they fucking put him in prison or in jail what for months that because they were so mad that it was a hung jury because he had voted not guilty i am so speechless it's this is insane it's the most insane story i've ever heard this man was not guilty he was on death row what the fuck yeah and it took what? this investigative re- podcast to get him off to get bail and then the da was being investigated so he took himself out the judge finally came to light that, like, he was like, what the fuck? And they dropped the case. Finally, there was a new, um, there was a new, oh God, I can't even think, I don't know, above a DA, the new, uh, I don't know, a new person was voted in, and she was like, yeah, there's not it's enough like evidence. Like a Supreme Court person, like. No, it actually went to the U.S. Supreme Court, and yeah. Kavanaugh reversed the Mississippi Supreme Court ruling and said that he was, that they needed to retry it. That's how far it fucking went. That's insane. Is that <laughs> not, like, the layers, all the people, they investigated all the witnesses that went through all six trials saying that they, they were just afraid of the police. They admitted it. They said that they were given, one of the men, the main person that said that he got the he got the he was in he was put in the same jail cell as him he said that yeah he one night he he told me that he he fucking did it and he was like oh yeah no i came in and the police were like this is what you're gonna say (gasps) he's like i didn't want to ask him he was like okay you tell me and he got out of prison for that 
And guess what he did right after that? Because he was a criminal, but he made a deal with the police. He murdered his fucking wife, his mother. And then because he, now he's in fucking death row, he was like, yeah, I have nothing to lose now. There's nothing they can do for me. I'll tell you what they did. I'll tell you what they told me to say. So now they have no witnesses ever seeing him. And then the man that they had another suspect. And when they gave the prosecution all of the evidence that they had, they found out that they had more evidence because they had another suspect, but they were like, no, no other suspects. They never gave them evidence, which is a Brady violation. It was just like the layers of Mississippi, like the racism, but it just made me they finally talked to Curtis because he wasn't allowed, the Mississippi made it so that he wasn't allowed to talk to media. They made, they said, no, absolutely not. And he, his lawyer was like, yeah, don't, you're still in the middle. Like they can use that against you. And so finally, once everything was dropped, he finally talked and he was talking about all the people that he saw go and be killed and how he like, people that are on death row, like their lawyers will do everything until the last minute. So they eat their last meal. They're on their way to go be executed. And then their lawyers are like, no, we need to review this, blah, 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 like a last dish effort. They come back happy thinking they might have a chance. And then no. And two days later, they're back on the same track. And he's like, it's just so sad to see these people go and come back. And then he's like, one of the men just told him, well, at least I get to have my last meal twice. Ah. It's like, that's the bright side. Holy shit. Yeah, his murder counts went up between his second trial and his third trial. Mm -hmm. He, oh my God, it went from one to two to four. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, and it says like how like the outcome of of what was happening but then the conviction was overturned due to uh the prosecution's misconduct or mm-hmm. racial discrimination in a jury mm-hmm. selection yeah they were they able to overturn juries. yeah wow okay so, so that is insane in the dark podcast yeah. it's Second the season. most Holy in-depth shit. investigation almost like serial only serial didn't get a uh, non-end shit but at least it got him like a spotlight and another trial almost. But mm-hmm. yeah, this they used this podcast to get his bail, to get everything. Like they did so much work that it like because they solely focused, like a detective or like a lawyer could not have focused and done as much work as they did. It was like three of them, and it's so uncomfortable because they will like go to the DA and corner him. And be like, so oh, do you God. feel, I know. Oh, no, like, they, I never. <laughs> they go to the fam. like, after his conviction is overturned and he is out on bail, they go to the family and one, and the brother of one of the women that died is like, you guys are awful. You're the devil. You are evil, evil people. Don't ever fucking talk to me again. And it's like, they literally just told evidence. Like they didn't have a side. Like, of course they felt- It was an opinion. It, it wasn't was. an opinion. It was simply wow. facts. Like wow. at a certain point you start to realize, like, obviously they're seeing what's happening. But right. they found an alternative suspect while doing all of it. And, like, that suspect straight up was like, yeah, I was wearing the shoes that they said were in the footprint. And I came to the fucking police station wearing them. They looked at them, but they gave them back. Like, and that wasn't even in the evidence. They found that out by talking to this guy. 
Oh my God. It's so, guys, I'm sorry. I should have said spoiler alert to all of this, but (laughs) truly, I I feel like because of DAs like this man, Mm -hmm. people on death row, and the only reason he was on death row is because they also said he stole. You have to have two um two felonies that combine into like basically he killed people and he stole from there so it's just like to me people on death row to me there needs to be more qualifications i don't know that it should even be a thing i think people should be in jail for their rest of their existence they should suffer in there. But the reality is the man that killed his wife and almost his daughter, he had a cell phone. He had a drug business that he was running out of his cell, his jail cell or his prison cell. Like he was living a pretty fucking great life. Right. In prison. He just made it work for himself. Exactly. So it's like. Holy shit. To me, I feel like these people should suffer. I don't know that they should be on death row. I, I don't know if that's a very rough, like, hard opinion to have, or, uh, I don't know. But I, it really did, it really changed my perspective hearing him talk when it was so blatantly clear. And we just, uh, we hear these cases, and, you know, Rachel tells a lot of cases, too, where it's like, I could go either way. Like, I, you could tell me, like, maybe, like, the case I was telling you about that I listened to recently on Dateline, and I was just so mad, where the, it was either the stepfather or the son, and I was like. Oh, yes, because they came back in the, uh, they came back up in the news recently. Yeah, and the son was, uh, his conviction was overturned, but to me, like, it was so blatantly obvious it was the stepfather, yet the son was convicted, and I could have gone either way. Like, that to me, like, there's reasonable doubt there. Why are people getting convicted when there's reasonable doubt? Right, exactly. Let me see. I think we talked about it recently. Episode 50. That's what it was. It was William Kine. And then his stepson, it was episode 50. So you could go back and you can listen to where I talked about this guy, this man who murdered his wife, but then tried to pin it on his stepson. Yes. Yes. Um, It was so pretty insane. They've, they've come back up in the news recently. So you can go back and listen and then read all the, but to me, it's just like that, that there is no clear suspect in that case. They mm-hmm. both called police. They both accused the other. Like, to me, it's just, I don't know. I just feel like there's too many cases. The detectives can't focus at times on these things. There isn't DNA evidence. There isn't. Yeah. Like, there needs to be a checklist of reasons why these, like, I don't know. I just questioned everything. Because you just don't think that a DA has a motive, you know, like a DA, Mm -hmm. like it's, they don't have a personal vendetta against a suspect. Like, but they have their own background that influences why they can't separate the personal from the professional. They take their personal, like feelings Mm -hmm. and motives and like, it doesn't even matter. It's like, uh, the, that documentary with the, the, the five kids. Oh God. What was it? The Oh, uh, oh my New God! York, what is it? The park, yes, the, 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 park, the, park, the kids the who were in the 
the, the part, part five, the, the something the, like oh, all right, Secretary Rachel's coming at it. It was the Central Park Five. That's what it was. Netflix has a like a docu series. Like not, it's not even a docu series. It's like they took they took what it was and they and they made like um just basically like a documentary about it but it's called when they see us and it's about these five teenagers who um were falsely accused of attacking and raping a a woman who went for Mm -hmm. a run in central park but they all were just kind of doing their own thing and they didn't even know each other but the way that the the prosecution and like the da's office they just had their minds made up like no these kids did it we just have to get them to admit it yeah but they, they weren't lo- false statements like yeah like they pushed them it's like the same thing as uh to to what oh, words uh, are hard making a murder making a murderer with brandon dassey yeah, they just exactly. like made it seem like yeah. you are the one who did it you just have to tell us well yeah because cops don't like, have to tell the truth they can lie that's what's so crazy to me are that police are allowed to lie in interrogations which right? i understand it, it makes like people like say things, things but also it makes them do false statements and it's just not because when you're put under this unbelievable amount of pressure by yeah. a person of authority who is threatening to take everything away from you and you have lack of sleep you're hungry you're tired you are dehi- like you just don't you are not in your right mind you don't know if you're making the right decision like i, mm-hmm. I like i, I just it puts you on the edge of your seat and it when it makes you realize that it's not all it's not fair like the system is not fair so it did, that did comes into that, play with trying to yeah. figure it all out did you hear that chris watts is trying to say that he was um coerced into giving that statement now yes i did boo fucking uh, you motherfucker uh, the, the, the I, audacity I you the audacity we watched, must have been on sale this year. <laughs> we watched the Netflix documentary. Get out of here. We saw your physical changes and your Ugh. behaviors and your attitude. Oh, no, no, no. You can't believe. Get out of here. Anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, get out of here. Your girlfriend's moved on. I just don't fucking love you. Get out of prison too. Like yeah. nobody wants to be there. That's the whole point of why you're there. Like, yeah, we don't kill our families. Then we don't go there. Or our kids. Yeah. And then we're fine. We just get to move on with life. You get a divorce. Come on. Have you learned nothing? (laughs) Insane. So, yeah, Yeah, he's such a piece of shit. Anywho. Mm -hmm. Well, on that, uh, very depressing note, you got a depressing story for us? I'm going to tell you more depressing things. That's why you guys are here, right? Yeah, totally. We always, we want to make you laugh. We soak it all up. We don't know. Maybe you're having a really good week because like we got good news politically. Maybe you're having a really depressing week. We don't know. (laughs) We're recording in the future and maybe you need to be brought down, cry it out a little. I might be there with you. I don't know my future. (laughs) It's like, I'm going to look back at this episode and be like, little Megan didn't even fucking know. Didn't even know. Didn't see it coming. Um, it scares Mm-mm. me. It scares me. <laughs> it scares me. The world is a scary place, guys. The world is scary, and I'm going to tell you a scary story. Let's, let's, even though it's let's not hear spooky, it. 
then that's not spooky season anymore. <sighs> Thanksgiving season, and I'm going to tell you about Kate Waring. Hmm. So, Kate, that's not how I was going to start the story. I just read <laughs> Kate again. So, no worries. <laughs> Hammer time. Do you, okay. Do you ever meet people and just feel an instant connection? So yes. Close, <laughs> right? <laughs> so close, you almost feel like meeting was meant to be. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, all the time. Every person I meet. With everyone ever. (laughs) Every single person I meet. (laughs) Well, this is the type of business that Heather Camp runs. Heather was like the man from the show I told you all about, Love Fraud. Mm. Only Heather would go a step further. Heather is 31, and for the last several years, she has made it her goal to marry men take them for everything and even have children with them and then run. She had four children and abandoned all of them. Oh, what the hell? Yeah. So she was like an evil con artist. Yeah. So let's, before we get to Kate, so Heather and Kate are going to meet in this story, but we're going to tell you some backstory on Heather. Mm. So... Chris Beard is a very nice man who's just online dating, trying to meet the woman of his dreams and fall in love and start a family. He's looking for a relationship, not just a hookup, uh, which is so hard to find online, honestly. Like, for those of you listening that are, like, girl, you're gonna get there. I promise. (laughs) Just keep working on you. Keep your so, head up. Keep your head up. You gotta keep your head up. That's right. <laughs> okay. Chris is a browsing and comes across a woman who seems to be looking for the same things that he is. She's a pediatric burn specialist, so she has a career. She's local. All these things seem to be pointing to a great partner. So they end up going on a date, and it goes great. After only dating for two months, they decide they're ready for marriage. Why not? They both want the same things. Then it turns out that Heather's pregnant. So chicken or egg, who knows, but they are having a baby and getting married. Well, Chris's sister, Lori, is trying to be supportive during all of this and just gets a weird vibe from Heather. But again, trying to be the supportive sister lets this all play out. Now, I don't know if she actually gave birth to this child because I couldn't really find much information between all this insane stuff happening and the family kind of figuring out who Heather was. So this could have been a child that she abandoned. So she continues being married to Chris and she's opening up credit cards in his name like crazy. By the time she leaves him unexpectedly, she had opened 15 credit cards in his name and had accrued over $33,000 in debt. Prior to meeting her, he had no debt. Now people are bad with money. Let's just give people a pass. Maybe she just needed to be like, schooled on how to manage her money better but the final straw for this family was when Lori came to Heather asking for advice about her daughter remember she's a pediatric burn specialist 
Heather's, I mean, uh, Lori's daughter didn't have any burns, but she did work with kids. So it was like, can you help with her behavioral issues? I'm just worried it might not just be a normal kid issue. Heather mm-hmm. jumps into doctor mode and says, yes, of course. Heather says, let's do some blood work and see what we can find. She takes out her diabetes blood sugar machine, takes blood from Lori's daughter, comes back with a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. What? Now, I'm not a doctor. (laughs) I don't know. In this specific case, I'm a fucking doctor. (laughs) There is no such thing as a diabetes blood sugar test that tells you if a person is bipolar. Also, the person has a mental disorder. (laughs) That takes the work of a fucking psychiatrist. Yeah. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Lori, like most of us, are like red flag central. So decides to Google Heather. And what would you know? She's a convicted felon not a doctor at all. Her felonies were for fraud, basically stealing people's money, uh, fraudulent checks, and some other charges, but the most frequently charged thing she was basically charged for was fraud. So after the family confronts her with all of this insane new information, she pieces the fuck out and runs. Chris, of course, is completely heartbroken, and Lori's like, what the fuck? She tried to press charges but Heather was a slippery one and was able to flee and charges kind of fizzled. Lori had a life, and since this woman wasn't terrorizing her family anymore, she just let it go. Now, this is where the story gets into the actual story. So a month later, while on a train going from Washington, D.C. to Charleston, South Carolina, Heather bumps into Kate Waring. So let's go back a bit now and learn about Kate. So Kate's family was a middle-class family, but like the 90s version of middle-class, where you had tons of nice stuff, but you weren't a Hilton. So (laughs) Kate had what seemed like a picture-perfect family, but like so many children, she sadly was sexually abused as a child by a family friend. Hmm. This changed the trajectory of Kate's life for many years to come. Her parents were proactive in putting Kate into therapy, but it did little to nothing to curb the risky behavior Kate started to do. When she was in junior high, the depression began, then the eating disorders followed. When she was in high school, she began to drink quite a bit. She eventually lost her license. In college, she tried dozens of times to get sober and would lapse and try again. This became a huge struggle in Kate's life and her families, because they were so worried about her. So Kate is now 28, and as a last-ditch effort, her dad decides to take Kate on a trip to anywhere she wants to go. If she could sober up for this trip and start a plan for her future, he would take her to a place she had always wanted to go, Moscow, which is like the capital of vodka. But for (laughs) Kate... (laughs) Which was, like, surprising to me when it said that. (laughs) I was like, girl. But but for Kate, it was much more than our enemy and vodka. She loved the people and Russia as a whole. 
while she was there, it was like a light bulb went off and she decided she was going to come home and get her life in order and then go back to Russia as soon as she could because she had actually met a guy while visiting and she wanted to shoot her shot. So that was in 2008 and it's now two, May of 2009. Kate is on her way home from Washington on a train because she is trying to figure out her visa situation. It had been rejected when she was planning this trip to go back to Russia. So it looked like her plans were changing and she would need a new plan on how she would get back to Russia. While trying to think out a plan on the train home, she is approached by a woman on the train who is also having the worst luck. Kate, being in such a good headspace, decides to hear this woman out. This woman is Heather Camp. She tells Kate she is a pediatric surgeon on her way to Charleston to start a new job, but she just had all of her stuff stolen. Can you believe it? Oh my she has goodness. no... I do not, what is that TikTok? And it's like, I, I can't believe it. I am so shocked. <laughs> Whatever it is. And it's like something like super blatant in the office. Like, like obvious. A, like the kid just fell off the bed and it's like, I cannot believe it. Believe and it, it says like, I told you not to jump on the bed. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so funny um so heather says she has no phone no money to get anywhere and once they get to so once they get to charleston she's like can i like whatever so this mm -hmm. is when kate explains that she doesn't have a lot of money but that her parents are financially supporting her so she could potentially loan her some money kate offers her to stay with her for the night at her family's home and she will loan her some money Kate's mom tells a story later that she remembers coming home that day and hearing Kate talking to someone in her room. And she walked in and saw this woman who just seemed a bit off. And Kate assured her mom, she's a really nice person and makes a lot of money. And Kate reminds her mom, this woman had found herself in a bind just like she had been in many, many times. Also that she would get the money back because she was a surgeon. So about a month goes by and a lot of new changes are occurring in both Kate and Heather's lives. Kate had moved into her own place where she finally started a new chapter and Kate even introduced Heather to her good friend, Ethan Mack. Whoa. Did you hear that? <laughs> yeah. That's so weird, but he didn't even react. I think it's the upstairs neighbor. Oh, okay. That was loud. I know. I thought, like, Buddy, like, jumped off the bed. Me too. That's why I looked. But it wasn't even him. He was just sleeping. Weird. Ethan was a friend who had been there through all of Kate's bad days and made sure she had a ride home if she got a little too messed up and she thought they were the perfect fit. And they were. Heather and Ethan began dating, and they were a fun little thruple, these three. Kate had been dating locally because she wasn't going to Russia anytime soon, but hadn't been pursuing anyone seriously. So when on a Friday in June, Heather and Ethan invite Kate to drinks and dinner, she of course says yes. Something had been off between Heather and Kate, but she put that aside for the night. They go out and have a good time, and this was the last time anyone had heard from Kate. The following Saturday, after not hearing from Kate the night before and that morning, her parents decide to drive by her place. 
Lights are on, but no one is home. They call her a bunch of times, but okay, she's 28. Maybe she didn't tell us she had plans. They drive by Sunday, and again, the same situation. It looks like no one had come home between visits. They say, okay, one more day. Then they are calling police. She's fallen off the wagon before, so maybe she just didn't tell them that she was going to go hang out with friends. So on Monday morning, her dad ends up getting a call from the local bank manager. Now her parents had their name on Kate's accounts due to them being her main financial source, but they just put money into her account. She wasn't a part of their own accounts. Well, the manager was calling because a man by the name of Ethan Mack had come in wanting to cash a check for $4,500 from Kate's account. But the only issue was Kate only had $100 in her account. Also, the signature on the check didn't match any of Kate's other checks. Guys. As, a, bank all, as a former bank employee, like... <laughs> like, we all need a fucking small town bank watching out for us because if oh my I, God. someone took one of my fucking chick checks to chase they'd be like megan who bitch this is fine we got it <laughs> like, oh my god like we were trained like you look at the number on the check you look at the signature you look at how much it's it's made for and if you didn't have an account and you came to cash a check you could only cash it for a certain amount of money and if it was more than that, we had to try to get you to open up an account in order to cash it, or we had to get like a secondary form of ID. But if there was not enough money in the account, we would just get straight up tell you like, this is not a good check and you cannot cash it. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, we would just, like, we wouldn't cash it. And we'd like, you could go to, and you could put notes in the account and you can tell them like, so-and-so came to cash this check and we told him it wasn't good. So if this person tries to come in and cash this check again, it ain't fucking happening. Oh, wow. Yeah. I for sure thought Chase would be like, yeah, bitch, you got this. We don't know no. what Megan. Heck no. Chase was like, I worked for Chase. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, we wouldn't cash it. There's no way. Oh, wow. Well, mm -hmm. would you call my dad? <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't tell on you, but we wouldn't oh, okay. cash it. Okay, got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so of course her dad immediately calls police because one their daughter has been missing for days and now her friend is cashing checks with forged signatures so police go to ethan's workplace he worked at a hotel ethan acts shocked and that any of this is happening ethan tells police he had helped kate with expenses and some jewelry that she wanted to buy and she was just paying him back all of it was just so fishy he does admit he was the last person to see her the Friday before she went missing, but he dropped her, off to, dropped her off at home and even watched her walk in the door. So police ask if he will allow them to search his place, and he is fully cooperative. He lives with his mom, so he let them in, and they search and find nothing. Ethan does a very sketchy thing after police leave, and he calls Kate's dad and leaves him an incredibly rude voicemail stating how dare they call the police on him. He has done so much for their daughter and just truly being the worst fucking trash human to a family that is just worried their daughter is fucking missing. Like, oh my God. to go that extra step, like, fuck off. Exactly. So... Police, after searching Ethan's place, tell Kate's family that they will no longer be treating this as a missing person's case because she is an adult, most likely left town on her own. 
you're going to come to hate the police in this story because it's absolutely insane how they handle this. So since police are not going to help at all, they decide to start doing the legwork on their own. They go back through what they know Kate did that day when she went missing. They go to the local pharmacy knowing she went and got her prescription and she seems calm and normal on the tape. The tape from the restaurant shows her having fun with Ethan and Heather, but then her dad starts to think back to a conversation they had that morning. Kate had brought up that there was some issues going on with a friend and she wouldn't elaborate much more. They notify police of this new information that they had just basically remembered and they advised her again. Well, she probably just left town then. The family is spreading the word as much as they can about their missing daughter, a close family friend who was Oh, who has a lot of connections in town and is very well off financially, gets wind of what's happening. And he is close friends with the local police chief. He tries to pull strings, but the police chief says they are very busy and it is a small squad, so he can't do much. By now, what? it had been, yeah. Isn't that <sighs> fucking crazy? What? Okay. By now, it had been two months of her missing. And police are still telling the family she isn't missing. So John says, okay, I'm going to call Andy Savage, who is a local defense attorney, and see if he can help. John is a fucking angel and is playing every card he has. Well, once Andy is involved, he is finding a lot of evidence to support that she didn't leave on her own. So he calls in three retired police officers, Bobby Mentor, Bill Caps, and James Randolph. They are like, fuck the new police, we are old school, and we're going to get this shit done. And John's fucking funding them. So they're like, we got this. Round nice. the clock shit. Nice. So James starts off the investigation by going to her home. He finds her uh, antidepressants sitting on her nightstand and she that she had just picked up. So why would a, a person fill their prescription and then skip town? Like I had said, she had been seen seeing a local guy who went to the same gym. They tracked him down, and he said Friday night that she had actually texted him, I'm off to Greenville to get some lovely. He didn't know if it was code for drugs, or maybe she was just tipsy, but he just basically texted her back, okay, be safe. So the records, when they finally got her cell phone records, it showed that her phone last pinged. Ping had come from a bit away from where Kate had ever been. They take this to police, but police say it's a small town. So they figured the closest tower was full so that it transferred her call to the next closest tower. But her family and the PIs now on the case know this isn't prob probable. I was going to say, does that, that's not what happens. Tower's full, just go to the next tower. No. I think it can no. happen, but it's like, but how far tower away was, was that tower? Too, exactly, the tower was too far. That's so insane. they know it's not probable, but they keep police in the loop, so they just keep putting their nose to the ground and looking for clues. Another retired cop, Eugene Fr Fraser, gets wind of this investigation and wants in. So he starts to get nosy in church on a Sunday. He's chatting with people about the case and trying to get some information from anyone in town and finds that the landlord who apparently rents to Ethan goes to the same church. 
And she said when police searched Ethan's home, they searched his mom's home, which he had a room at, but that was not his residence. He had an apartment that she rented to him, and it was on the other side of town. And he most definitely did not disclose this to police. <laughs> yeah. They, of wow. course, take this information to police, and guess what police do? Nothing. They tell the family, she's in Greenville. <laughs> yep. They tell, they tell the, they're like, she's in Greenville. Hello. Now, do they even question Ethan about the fact that he lied or didn't disclose information? Absolutely not. So Ethan continues living with his life and his living girlfriend, Heather Camp, at an apartment that was never even searched. So the PI team find out where this apartment is and begin to do surveillance. They put a GPS tracker on his car and they can all, so they can always know if he's home or not and where he is. And they get the best spot that's super hidden and always has sight of the apartment. So one day while Ethan is at work and Heather is home, she sneaks next door to the neighbors. While, Ethan's, while Ethan is at work, she and the neighbor are driving to different banks in town and pawning jewelry. These two are obviously bad news, but they keep looking for more. One day, the landlord calls them and tells them that she's going to evict Ethan and Heather the next month. They panic because they have eyes on him 24-7, and if they move, that's the end of their investigation. So they call John Rivers, the man funding their PI team, and tell him the situation. They tell him they are close, but they need these people to stay in this apartment. So John says, okay, I'll pay the rent, but they can't know. So the landlord makes a deal with him to get paid, and then they create a facade that they are about to be evicted, but not living rent-free. The landlord takes over a new contract to the couple to have them sign stating that they will pay a similar and smaller payments, but will eventually pay the landlord in full. Now, something that the PIs thought ahead about with a new leasing agreement, agreement was that both parties had to sign. So when Heather and Ethan signed, they now would compare the signatures to the check Ethan had taken to the bank. So, when, so they can figure out who signed the check. They send it off to be compared at the lab or wherever signatures are compared. I don't know, at a school, a signature school. I don't know. Right. Uh, uh, while that is being done, the PIs are like, okay, we need into this apartment to see if there is anything in there that can be used as evidence. So they coordinate a time with the landlord to pretend they need to spray the building for bugs. They figure out with the GPS that Ethan's car isn't there, and chances are Heather is with the neighbor guy doing their fraud stuff. So they get into the apartment, and Ethan is fucking sitting on the bed when they get in the apartment. Oh my so, God. I know. So they panic. He didn't recognize the PI and the bug guy was legit. So they just ask him, hey, there's going to be a lot of toxic fumes. Get out. So he does. But he leaves behind his backpack. And while going through his things, they find Chinese money. Now, what? Yeah. This may seem insignificant to many because truly I have like euros sitting in my room that it's just like shit that you have in your room. I don't know. It's not that big. <laughs> But in this case, I mean, it's kind of weird. (laughs) Well, when you get fucking euros, like it's not worth very much here. So it's just like, it turns into a souvenir. It's 
a souvenir. Yeah. No, I have, I, guess I, have, I have some paper money. I have then foreign I'll money for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's like, fishy. no, no, but you have to like go and you have to like order that shit from the bank. Like when you're traveling or like you have to make yeah. sure that you get it ahead of time. And yeah, of course there's some stuff left over, but like that, it just, it just seems weird. <laughs> It's not weird. everybody has foreign money. Okay, okay. Okay, fine. Y'all are murderers. <laughs> More people have wheat pennies than they do foreign money, okay? Got it. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, okay, so in this case, it was fishy because when Joseph went through Kate's room, he found some of the same exact money in her room. And her mom said she had brought it back from when she was visiting Hong Kong. So why would Ethan have the same currency that she had? So things are really coming together against Ethan. So they take a page from the book of the Cox family when they were looking for Susan Powell and decide to maybe spook the couple a bit. The PIs make a shit ton of missing flyers for Kate and decide to put them everywhere in the neighborhood and even at the hotel where Ethan works. One of them even put it on the windshield of his car. Oh my god. Yeah. Wow. They offer, okay. Yeah. They offer $10,000 to anyone who can find information that will find her. After not really seeing a shift in these monsters' behavior and no one coming forward, they decide, okay, maybe the neighbor who's named Terry, by the way, they think, okay, he's kind of a scumbag. Maybe if they offer him some money, he'll snitch on Heather and Ethan. They go to his apartment and they begin talking to him. And who walks out of the bedroom half-dressed? Oh, just Heather. So she's, yeah. So she's cheating on Ethan and just being trash in general. So she overhears this conversation and flips out and calls Ethan, screaming about how they're trying to pin all of this on them. And they weren't involved at all. This spooks Terry, and he's like, everyone get the fuck out. I don't want to talk to any of you. You guys are all bad news. So Mm -hmm. a bit later, Terry ends up contacting the PIs and tells them that a few weeks prior, Heather had given him an iPod. And when he plugged it in, the computers, the other known computers on the iPod were Kate. This is interesting news because on the videos on Friday from the, um, pharmacy Kate had had her iPod so things are starting to close in on Heather now as well also the writing samples had come back so police are starting to take more interest in this case shockingly but the annoying part where police were only concerned about the check and the fraud not the fact that it was connected to a missing person so police tell the family of the arrest but continue to play this narrative that Kate left on her own but when police get them into questioning, the truth begins to come out. Now, I hate to do this to all of you, but between us <laughs> discussing this case as well as Curtis Flowers' case, which I hope all of you, between this time, go listen to In the Dark. Yes. Come back next week and I will finish this story because I promise. <laughs> justice is fucking served oh my god this is insane megan how could you do this i know i'm so sorry <laughs> we haven't done a two-parter in a long time i know yeah oh. honestly guys we do a lot of two-parters when our life is fucking chaotic and we just need a little time yes and i need a little time, <laughs> a little time. 
I'm trying to move. I don't know. I might be sad right now in the future because of a political. <laughs> Maybe I'm right. fucking joyous and I need time to celebrate. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows what the future holds, but I needed a minute. So, uh, you know, and us talking so much before this story, it made for a very long episode and we've been trying due to your uh, feedback to make these a bit shorter. Mm-hmm. So it's already at an hour. So this will probably but take you a solid week to listen to anyways. <laughs> but it's exciting. Okay. I'm excited. But it's such a I'm, good not gonna, story. I'm not going to ask you. Oh, a, and like, don't fucking Google it either, guys. Yeah. Don't look it up. Don't look it up. Just wait. Just don't wait. It. Don't, just don't, wait. Just wait. Just yeah. Okay. I'm not asking you SES out on this episode because we we'll catch up on the next one, okay. girl. Okay. We gotta okay. catch up. Okay. 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 All right. Okay. Okay. We'll see y'all next week for another horrible story. The conclusion Bye. of your horrible story. Sorry. The conclusion of my horrible story. Not a new one. It'll be the end of this one. Watch next week. I'm just like, so anyways, Sarah Smith. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck? I know, right? Don't worry. We'll catch you up. We'll have a recap and all that jazz. Yes, we will have a recap and all that fun stuff. We'll see y'all next week. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Ah, you're still recording. (laughs) Ah!